Oasis family, how are y'all doing out there in the internet world? I am so glad that you are here watching service online. I try to do this every single week, but if you are within driving distance of our in-person services and you deem for it to be safe for you and your family, I know this is super convenient, but I would actually love to meet some of you in, in person. I met someone actually at the park that comes to our church and they were like, Pastor Julian, you're my pastor. And I'm like, have I ever met you before? Because sometimes people look familiar. And he's like, no, like I've been a member since the beginning of the pandemic, but we've never met. And they were going to try to come in and check us out in person. I, I think obviously there were times where we had to stay online uh, because it just wasn't safe. But we have so many different in-person expressions for our services. I'd love to have you come visit a church or even if you just stayed online but went to an in-person connect group or a beach volleyball connect group that happens every uh, Sunday after church at 2.30 at Santa Monica, uh, the Annenberg Beach House. But just try to be more connected in this season because I really believe there are certain promises and things that I'm preaching about that it's really hard to individualize and that we're going to have to be a part of a healthy community for some of those promises to come uh, to pass. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Let me tell you some really cool things before I jump in the word today about things that God are, is doing in our community. Did you know, y'all, I'm so excited about this, that we had 53 volunteer signups for kids, volunteers. 53. Just this last Sunday, 30 new volunteers started in the kids' ministry. And so God is moving, and he's putting it on people's heart to volunteer and serve their community. Because of your generosity, over 150 backpacks were donated and given away to Oasis families, Oasis youth, Alexandria House, one of our partners in a place called home, kids in need got backpacks and were ready for school because of your generosity. There are 61 summer groups that were happening right now. 646 people went to those groups. And guess what? This is really exciting. Did y'all know that over 400 new givers started giving to this community this year. Over 400 people gave for the very first time to this community. People are feeling inspired about what God is doing, and the Holy Spirit is telling them to partner with it uh, financially. And so, by the way, 134 of those givers actually gave again. God is moving, y'all. And 119 just said, hey, I want to be a faithful part of what God is doing. And they signed up for reoccurring giving. God is moving in our church, y'all. So put a hand clap in the chat. And I'm so excited, man. After uh, post-COVID, it's been hard to, you know, uh, build momentum in the community. And I've tried to shy away from, you know, cheesy vision statements and trying to manipulate people to get people to do things, and just trusting God that when people were ready to serve, they would serve. When people were ready to give again, they would give. And when people were ready to be in community, they would engage. And that is happening. And so I'm telling you, um, my heart for the next seven years of the church is, is the favor of God. And, and I really believe that God's favor is on this particular community. And so there are certain promises that I'm going to be sharing that really requires for us to be in community. And that's why we've been in this series, Family Values. What is the values of a church community? If there are certain blessings that God pronounces over the church, we need to make sure we're actually a real church. Not just people watching a sermon, but people participating in the Holy Spirit, empowering them to do what God has called them to do in their community. And so we've been in this series, Family Values, and we have six family values. We worship together. We pray together. We grow together. We serve together. We give together. And we eat together, all six. And we've been on We Grow Together a few weeks now. And so last week I was talking about maturity and how uh, when God in the Old Testament, the promises of God were achieved through obedience. 
an inheritance in the New Testament was achieved through maturity. And so obedience and maturity are two really huge ways that release blessing in our life. So uh, what I'm going to share today is kind of a part two of that. I'm going to be reading uh, 17 verses from Hebrews 12. We're going to read every single one. Hebrews 12 is one of those like top 10 for me. Like, you know, they say, who's your top 10 this or top 10 that, top 10 songs, top 10 NBA players. Hebrews 12 is one of my top 10 scriptures in the word of God. I go back to it frequently and often. Matter of fact, you may have heard certain things from Hebrews 12 from me multiple times. I'm always talking about it because it has profoundly impacted my life. Let me give you a little context of what was happening in Hebrews 12. And really, you can't read Hebrews 12 without reading Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11 um, uh, was the prequel to Hebrews 12. Literally, Hebrews 12 starts with this sentence, therefore. And whenever you see therefore, that means that you need to read what came before that, because therefore is the continuation. So never see therefore in Scripture and not read what came before that, because it helps you interpret the Scripture. So really, I wish I had time, because you'd have to read uh, all of Hebrews 11, which Bible scholars call the Hall of Faith. It's the Hall of Fame of people in the Bible with faith. Listens mul- listen, uh, list multiple people in the Bible and applauds them for their faith. It lists how people like Daniel, who shut the mouth of lions, people like Moses, who uh, parted the Red Sea, people like Abraham, who believed God. Uh, it just goes over and over again. Isaiah, it, it mentions. It also mentions Rahab, which is interesting. The Hall of Faith, by the way, doesn't mention David. David is probably one of the most popular Old Testament people in the Bible. It doesn't mention David for some odd reason. If I was David, I'd find a, kind of feel like that was shade a little bit. But it, it has this great um, co- contrast between uh, mis- uh, mentioning people who we would deem to be a hero and someone like Rahab, who was a woman in the Bible who was a prostitute that God used, and God put her in the hall of faith. And one of the most um, iconic passages of Scripture in the Bible to talk about faith. And so it just really lists all these people in the Bible that uh, had faith. And then Hebrews 12 begins to continue, you know, after talking about these people with faith, about what we're able to do because of what people that have come before us have done. And I think it's important that we understand that God has always meant faith to be generational. I think so many times we have an old church and a young church. And um, really, if you are operating in the calling of God for your life, it is always a continuation from something God had promised to the previous generation. All the way back to Abraham. Um, you can, God never starts something in this. God's, he's been working He's been moving. It's a continuation from things he said to Abraham outside of a tent among the stars 3,000 years ago. Whatever you're believing for in your life, think about this. God might do it because he promised Abraham he'd bless his descendants. And I think that we don't even, uh, we live so much in like the here and the now and now, now, now. We don't realize that some things God did for me, it's because he told my great-great-grandmother he would bless great-great-grandchildren. There's this legacy attached to faith. And so really, instead of being a young person who dishonors the people who've come before you, we really have this profound opportunity to build on top of, because there was a therefore here based that these believers could do something based off the people who came before them and what they did. And so when you read about Elijah, you shouldn't read when Elijah said it wouldn't rain for three years and did all these miracles. You shouldn't read it like, wow, that's really cool, man. God really used Elijah. 
you, you, you should think, if Elijah was able to do that, what could I do right now? It should give you a sense of faith. A little bit more context about Hebrews 12 before we read it is that the believers in Hebrews 12 are going through some really tough times. This has been a really tough three years, and so many times we can kind of give in to the season. These people are ready to give up on their faith. Um, here, uh, we, like, because the church building was closed, we act like we're being persecuted. These people are really being persecuted. They're being killed, executed, beaten, flogged for their faith. Right around this time, their faith was actually illegal in this context, and you were severely punished for even expressing the name of Jesus. So many believers were defecting from their faith or renouncing Christ because they couldn't understand why a God who was so good will allow them to go through things so bad. So they begin to lean into other religions and other things that were more socially acceptable than having a faith in Christ. And this letter was to those believers trying to get them to hold fast, mentioning the people that they would have known about that had faith. I love this concept because they had such a reverence for the Daniels and Elijah. These people were alive hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and they could mention Daniel, and this community would go, yeah, Daniel. Remember the faith that I gave Daniel? And so we're going to jump into Hebrews 12, and I really believe as this particular message is about we grow together, that it's going to profoundly shape your thinking and prepare you for what God has for you. Now, remember the context. We're coming out of a chapter that talked about amazing people filled with faith doing awesome things. And Hebrews 12 continues and says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also, let us also. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, what's a cloud of witnesses? Uh, we got to be careful of that when we read scripture. If you don't know what a cloud of witnesses is, find out what a cloud of witnesses is. Because sometimes we just keep reading until we get to the point that we understand, but we don't understand it because we missed it. He's talking about a cloud of witnesses are people who did wild, insane things by faith. Surrounded by a cloud of witness, let us also. I believe that the only time comparison is okay is when you want to have the faith that someone else has. This literally says, since y'all are surrounded by people with a whole bunch of faith, have some faith too. Sometimes we're like, therefore, since I'm surrounded by people who really who got married, I should be getting married too. Or since I'm surrounded by people who have financially seem to be stable and secure, then I should have money too. And God's like, no, 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 I have a calling for you in, this, in my timing. But what I really want you to lean into is who around you has faith. It's absolutely okay for you to say, God, give me the faith that you gave Abraham. Give me the faith that you gave Daniel. Give me the faith. If you think your pastor has faith, make sure that you don't lean so much on my faith that you don't go, Lord, he seems to have faith. Give me some of that. This literally, therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us also. Can I pause for a second and say, I want us to get that into our church. Let us also. If you see someone around you that is praying big prayers, let me also. If you see someone around you that seems to have faith, as a community, we should not be saying, look at that super uh, Bible-thumping. Let us also. We need to be finding and be surrounded by people that if we also did that, God's going to do something crazy. One of the greatest ways that you can find whether something's right or wrong is if everybody does it. 
if everyone, think about whatever, a controversial topic, sexuality, if whatever California champions, if everybody did it, what would happen? But if everybody did marriage and family God's way, there'd be no divorce, there'd be no molestation, there'd be no rape. There would be so many things that will immediately disappear if people, if everyone did it God's way. And so you don't need a preacher to tell you right and wrong. Just ask yourself if everybody did it, what would be the consequences? Whenever something's good and holy, when everyone does it, it blesses everyone. And so let us also, and I think we don't understand the power of being surrounded. Now, now here's what's crazy. It's a cloud of witnesses. There's some, there seems to be something here that is profoundly impactful to help you grow and to help you get what God has for you. When you're surrounded by so many people, it would create a cloud. Like you can't, not one person. So many of us, we, we, our, our entire friendship group is literally the most trifling people. God bless them. And then our grandma, grandmama is the one with the faith. You know, uh, uh, Nana. Nana is the only one we know with the faith. Whenever we get in trouble, we call Nana. But all of our friends we've been hanging out with all weekend, no faith. There are certain things that you are called to do in this season. There are certain blessings that are not going to be unlocked until you surround yourself with the right people. Not, and by the way, not to think you're less than, but surround yourself with people who actually are doing better in that space so that you get to the point where you're so surrounded, you can walk in the let us also. And look what it continues to say. It continues to say the reason why they were able to walk with so, such faith. Because Hebrews 11 lists all these amazing things that involve faith, but it gives you a crazy thing here that gives us so much insight on why they were able to do the wildest things by faith. I need somebody. I want to be surrounded by people in this season who have radical, insane, crazy faith. I want people to just think that Oasis is out of control. Like, why do you believe that? I don't want to be in this season where we are so beat up. COVID-19 was brutal. The pandemic was terrible. But I don't want to be a community that's believing for normal things. You know, like, you go to the San Diego Zoo. The San Diego Zoo is nice. You ever been to the L.A. Zoo? The L.A. Zoo's not nice. It's just got old regular animals. One time I went there, they had a cat exhibit, just a regular old house cat just sitting up there in the thing. I'm like, they scratched off the lion exhibit and just put cat. Like, you ain't getting no lion in the L.A. Zoo. You just get a cat. There's a bulldog in one of the exhibits. Mean, he's supposed to be a giraffe. He's just regular animals. I need an ostrich. I need a flamingo. There's a parrot exhibit, just a parrot, just a regular old bird you can buy. We, don't, we, we need San Diego Zoo faith. We need real, <laughs> exotic animals. You ever been to LA Zoo? Every one of the reptile cages was empty. Just garter snake, rattlesnake gone. I went in there, rattlesnake coughed. That's how old the rattlesnake was. The rattlesnake was coughing. Just old, we need San Diego Zoo faith. We need the real deal. We need to be surrounded by people like that. Some of us, our longest conversations are complaining and venting sessions with our friends. It's like, the, like, like look at your phone the next time you make a phone call and, and notice like uh, the prayer is always two minutes and the complaining's 10. Don't stop complaining. Just switch the time frame. Complain for two, pray for eight. 
Like start to develop these habits where you're surrounded. And it talks about the faith that these people had, and it gives us a really interesting clue. And it said, let us also lay every, aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So your calling, you should be running in your calling. Does anybody feel like they're crawling towards what God has for them? I don't want to crawl. I do not want to send this narrative in our church that we need to believe for God's timing when reality is God's timing is based off being weighted down by sin and worries of the world. So the reason why it's going so slow is sometimes it's timing, but sometimes it's going slow because you're moving slow. And the Bible says that we need to get rid of weight and sin in order to move quickly. If you believe that God has called you to something, I want you to ask yourself this question. What weight is slowing me down? What is weighing me down in my soul? Are there friendships weighing me down? Are there habits weighing me down? Are there worries weighing me down? Are there fears weighing me down? And the second question I want you to ask is, is the Bible says sin that clings so closely, and the translation is sin that trips us up. So when we try to run towards what God has for us, sin trips us, weight slows us down. And some of you people that are like real truth people, you care, it, it's almost becoming like a badge of honor to be anxious. Or almost like we, we, we deal with it, like we're looking for communities to help, to, like, like to, where we can identify with being anxious. And anxiety is really the greatest message from your soul that it's time to pray, believe, and trust God. It, it is an um, a alarm clock in our soul that it's time to pray, believe, and trust God. The enemy tries to use that, that soul alarm clock, which is anxiety, that it's time to fix, worry, and plan and get clarity. No, no, no. It's time to pray, believe, and trust God. You will never find a person who is praying, believing, and trust God. Now, anxiety is, can be crippling. And I'm, if you're dealing with anxiety right now, I want you to just submit that to God and say, this is going to be my alarm clock to pray, believe, and trust God. I'm going to stop, I'm going to pause, and I'm going to seek the Lord on the things that are making me anxious. Um, and it says, when we do these things and we get rid of these weights and these sins, we're able to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, I believe that if we're going to grow together, the church should be running, not crawling towards the things of God. God wants to bless you with so much. And this would seem to suggest that your friendship groups determine your time frame for what you're believing for. No wonder we need to be in community. Because the Bible would suggest that if you're in a cloud of witnesses, witnesses to what? The amazing things that God could do if we're living it with faith. If you're in a cloud of witnesses, it empowers you to lay aside the things in life that are slowing you down. Here is what I will tell you. We have told people that sin makes God mad. Get rid of your sin to honor God. Get rid of your sin. To, no, sin slows you down. Like, if you don't even are in the place where you want to honor God, sin slows you down. It weighs you down. It weighs down the human soul. And then it says, not only are we able to run, but this is what we should be looking at when we're running. Most people who start running have their eyes set on their goals and their heart set on achievements. Our heart belongs to Jesus. Our eyes are set on him. Why? Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. 
So if we don't look to Jesus in everything, he cannot perfect our faith. To achieve what God has for us, the scripture would suggest you need perfect faith. You don't need to be a perfect person, but you need perfect faith. You know Jesus is not trying to make you perfect until he comes back, but he is trying to give you perfect faith. I have seen some of the most imperfect people with perfect faith achieve more than people trying to be perfect with a jacked up faith. Religion is trying to be perfect with no faith. You need to have a faith that is perfect. So if you are filled with and doing crazy stuff, I want you to just say this prayer, Jesus, make my faith perfect. Make my faith perfect. One of the things that I think we can do as we grow as a community is to challenge each other to have faith. I really believe that we got to start challenging each other to have faith. It is what we believe. The Bible says when Christ returns, will he find faith in the earth? And it says he perfects our faith. Who For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seating at, seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it goes on to say, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. He's basically talking about, man, it's hostile. It's a hostile environment out there. It's a hostile environment. I'm letting you know, man, Jesus had to endure some really gnarly stuff to get to, to accomplish the, the things of God. So I know y'all getting persecuted, you're getting thrown in prison. But remember, Jesus went through the same thing. It's interesting how I don't preach that when someone's going through something. Has anybody ever shared what they're going through? And we go, remember, Jesus went through that too. That's not encouraging to anybody. I do not want someone to tell me what Jesus went through. It's like I'm trying to tell people I'm having a hard time. And they remember, remember, Jesus was on that old rugged cross. So I'm like, I, do, I don't want to hear that. I want you to tell me everything's going to be okay. Everything is going to be okay because of faith, not because of avoiding the hard thing. So he said, remember, Jesus went through it too. And it said, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And that's not gender, that's sons and daughters. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. No, be weary when rebuked or reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. So now, it says, in order to achieve the things that God, to be able to run, we got to do a few things. Write them down. I got to check my friendship circle. I need some people around me who believe. Believe in God believe in me. They need to believe. Like when you work on something that is near and dear to your heart, I want you to count how many friends and hit you up and say, there's something to that. I believe. You got to be around these people. Number one, it says we're surrounded by great who you're surrounded to. Two, we got to start addressing some of the weights and sins that we carry. And here's the thing. The Bible says that these light and momentary troubles far outweigh or will be far outweighed by the glory that will be revealed later. So glory and the good things of God are heavy. If I saw you carrying five boxes and they, were, they looked like you were struggling, would I give you a, a six box on top of it even if the six box had a really good thing in it? No, if you were carrying five boxes of trash and I had a box of blessings, would I give you the box of blessings on top of your five boxes of trash. No, 
I would get, help you get rid of the trash and then give you the one box that you could carry because blessings are heavier than sin. So God wants you to get rid of certain weights and sins because he knows the blessings and his glory has a weight to it as well. Glory in the Bible in the Greek is translated weight. Glory means the full goodness of God. So when God begins to release his blessing, release his inheritances, it's heavy. And some of us are dreaming so big, we forget to dream heavy. We don't understand that the big things that God has for us are heavy to carry and lead. And so when we have too much sin, God says, you can't carry my blessings because you won't let go of the weight and sin. And so he brings us to this beautiful place of something called discipline. So we need our friends. We need to get rid of some sin. We need to get rid of some weight. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. And now we need to understand that God is a God who disciplines. This is, this is the biggest way to grow is discipline. You know what that word discipline means? It means a child under development with strict training. It's almost an athletic word. Like, like when you go to the gym, anybody like to go to the gym? I just want to apologize to, I'm going to apologize to my, uh, my trainer, Diego. I've lied about how many reps I've done. Wow. 1,000%. Like, I'll do it. I, I haven't done it recently, but I remember one time, and 10. It was probably eight. <laughs> Seven. I was tired. This dude was training me, man. I was huffing and puffing. But it's like, it's discipline. So one of the things that I love about it is he pushes me beyond what I think I can do. So then what I think I can do grows. So each and every workout, it never gets easier because we're always going beyond whatever I just did a week or two ago. And so each workout, it gets harder because I'm being pushed. And now what I do naturally is more than what I think I could do. You, you get what I'm saying? And, and the Bible says that he, it, that word discipline is a child under development with strict training to train up a child so that they mature and realize their full potential. God is not disciplining you because he's mad at you. He's disciplining you and allowing you to go through tough things because he believes that there's more. He's trying to bring you to your full potential. Um, there, there, if you drive past um, Forest Lawn and you think about how many graves are in Forest Lawn and you think about that for many of those people who are believers, they're with Jesus. What's sad to me when someone dies, it's obviously we miss them, but when they, if they're a believer, they get to be with Jesus. But what's sad is that potential doesn't go get to be with Jesus. There's nothing worse than to die and in your grave is potential. What died with you is the things you could have done if you would have grown in a faith-filled community. I am not as scared anymore of me dying. I'm scared of me dying with potential, things that I could have done. And so God will realize your full potential. So can I challenge someone out there? Right now, your 80% looks like someone's 100, but it's not the full potential of what God has called you to. And so because someone else is doing less and your 80% is more, you know you have more. You know you could work harder. You know you could believe bigger. But because people around you are believing small, you're like, I'm doing pretty good compared to so-and-so. No, God is going to make you uh, achieve your full potential. And sometimes it, it calls administering chastisement, which is punishment. And the Bible says he does this to people who received. One of the biggest signs that you are not received by God is that God 
lets you do whatever you want. Do you know the punishment for unbelievers was not God teaching them hard lessons? The punishment for unbelievers, it says in Romans 1, so God left them to themselves to let them do whatever their hearts desires. God, this man, I feel like throwing this binder. The punishment for an unbeliever is God would have his spirit stop convicting them. The, some of the worst things that could ever happen to you is for the spirit of the Lord to say, okay. Mm, that's what you want to do? Fine. God forbid. No, when you receive, God says, nope, we're going to have to deal with that. Does that make sense? And then verse 7 continues and said, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you like sons. He's treating you like his kids. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? This is one of the reasons why I feel like the enemy attacked the father. Because when he attacked the father and then the father began to discipline, it made us think that God was mad and that God didn't want anything to do with us. But it says in verse 8, if you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. We have to change the mentality if we're going to grow together and reach maturity and release these blessings in our life that, that God is treating us like his kids when he does something that feels good. But when he does something that feels bad, he doesn't love us. No. It says you're, you're an illegitimate child if God doesn't give you discipline. Lord, help me not get away with stuff that other people get away with. I don't want to get away with it. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness, his character. For, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness, character again, to those who have been trained by it. Therefore, lift your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Jesus, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it is your character that allows you to see what God is doing. God could be doing something right now and you can't even see it. Wow. With, it doesn't mean that word see it is translated miss it. It's not like God's going, I'm not showing up unless you're holy. That's not what it means. It means he's there and you can't see it. it when, when the Bible says, uh, blessed are the pure at heart for they will see the Lord, it means to be sure not to miss. The more that you're pure, the more that you can't miss what God is doing. You could see the most crazy circumstance and you can't miss it at all and it says see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of god that's funny he's talking to the church and he didn't say see to it that everybody knows the truth no nope. see to it that no one misses out on grace wow. no one misses it we're saved by grace we're built up and sanctified by truth sanctified is a big church word that means prepared so we are saved in relationship by grace. We are prepared for what God has for us by truth. So if you're still rejecting truth and wanting grace, then you're rejecting the preparation for the promise. Truth prepares us for the promise. And this is why we grow where we have to be in atmospheres of grace to where we become hungry for the truth. It says, so we need grace and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. 
because many become defiled or ruined by that, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance to repent, though he sought it with tears. I, I want to unpack this for a second. You may have heard of Jacob in the Bible. Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the liar. Jacob gets a bad rap in the Bible. He's the guy who wrestled with God and got a limp. You know, he, he tricked his brother out of his blessing. Uh, Jacob's name actually means like uh, the, the deceiver or the supplanter. It's like a deceiver. His name means liar. Um, and if you know Jacob, Jacob had a brother named Esau. So I got to catch you up on this story. Uh, Jacob had a brother named Esau. They were twins. And even in the womb, they were arguing and fighting. Um, so the story says that they're arguing and fighting in their womb. And so um, um, in that culture, the firstborn would get the blessing first. Esau would get the blessing first. This is why this is so profound that the Bible says that Jesus is the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. So Jesus, though, took the curse so that the second, third, fourth, fifth born brothers and sisters, which all of us could receive the blessing. So Jesus reversed that and gave up his birthright intentionally so that we could walk in the inheritances of God because all that belonged to Jesus, and Jesus gave it up, took our sin, took the thing that was preventing us from walking in blessing and promise. This is crazy how amazing the Bible is. But back to Jacob and Esau, so... Um, Esau was the firstborn son, so he's supposed to get the blessing. And the Bible says that Jacob um, uh, uh, convinced Esau to give up his birthright because Esau was hungry for a bowl of stew. And Jacob made the most fire bowl of stew ever and gave it to Esau and said, I will let you eat this bowl of stew if you give me your birthright. And Esau was so hungry and despised his inheritance the Bible said that he gave up something that was coming later to have something he wanted now. Should I throw the binder? I said that even though Jacob was a liar, this scripture doesn't mention that Jacob was a liar. It mentions that Esau gave up something that God was going to give him later for something he wanted now. Has anybody heard about the marshmallow test? The marshmallow test is a psychological test for little sweet, innocent kids. And very few little kids have passed this test. And basically, the marshmallow test is very simple. They sit a kid in a room, and they put a marshmallow on a plate, and they say, um, I'm going to leave the room. If you don't eat this one marshmallow, when I come back, I'm going to give you four. And they put the kid in the room with the marshmallow all by themselves with the one marshmallow in, in like this room. And the kid doesn't know there's cameras in there. And they tell the kid, I'm going to come back in 20 minutes. If you don't eat that one marshmallow when I come back in 20 minutes, you're going to get four. Just like all little kids that don't know how to wait. It's so cute. Some of the kids would sniff the marshmallow. One little kid like, like took like the little... He was smart. He took like a little bite like that and then turned it upside down so that no one could tell that he, that he nibbled on it. And several kids, 
sat there for maybe five minutes, and after the fifth minute, just mowed down that one marshmallow. They literally could not do it. They gave up three marshmallows to have one now because they could not, in their immaturity, understand the concept that if I wait, there's more. Wow. Like, I hate the way we preach sex before marriage. Sex before marriage is, it's a sin. Yes, I get it. It is a sin. Sexual morality, fornication, whatever. No, but the real concept of that is if I wait, there's more. Wow. Like, if I wait, there's more. Esau could not wait for his inheritance, and he gave it up. Welcome to what I believe is one of the number one issues in the church is we give up what God has for us later for something we really want now. And the Bible says that Jacob was the one who tricked Esau into doing that. But the scripture says, don't be like Esau. There is people who trick you out of, make you think that you're doing something great and you're getting tricked out of what God has for you. And I would have thought it said, don't be like Jacob. Nope, says, don't be like Esau. Jacob was so shady that God had to change his name. Later, the Bible says God changed Jacob's names to Israel. Literally, the name of the nation of God's people. And Jacob is the first place uh, in Scripture where the house of God is used. God used Jacob mightily. But what's interesting about God changing Jacob's name to Israel is because although Jacob had flaws, Jacob really wanted what God had for him. And because his father seemed to favor Esau, Jacob had felt like he had, if he was going to get blessed by his father, he had to trick his father into doing it. And sometimes that's how we treat God, where we think that God, I have to manipulate God, I have to manipulate people in order to get what God has for me because there's no way God's going to give it to me. There's another favorite son or favorite daughter. So let me use manipulation. And God still would say to you, don't be like that guy who gives up something later for something now. Spiritual maturity and spiritual growth can literally be summed up. Do not give up something that God wants to give you later for something the devil wants to give you now. That, that, that's all it can be summed up as that. Because here's what's interesting about Jacob, and we will close with this, is that throughout history, God would talk to people and say, I am the God of Jacob. Isaac, and Abraham. Even though he had changed Jacob's name to Israel, he never said the new name when he referred to Jacob. It's always that he is, it's almost as if he wanted us to know that, hey, when I say I'm someone's God, I'm someone's God. I'm not the God of the person I transformed them into. I'm the God of the person that they were when, I, when, I dis when they found me. I'm still their God. And if we can walk in this type of like, revelation where we can understand what Hebrews 12 is trying to communicate us. I feel like we're in the same season as a church where people have gotten weary of pursuing God and following God because we did. And all these hard times hit our families and our church. And we're all just like, like either being indifferent about the kingdom or we're scattered. Some of you might watch and then not watch and then show up or not show up. And Hebrews 12 is about, hey, there's an inheritance, y'all, and it lists all of these things. Please read Hebrews 12 on your own because I don't have time to like really, really unpack the whole thing. But there's all these things that God was saying to them that I'm saying to you like, hey, y'all are about to be like Esau. 
The whole point of Hebrews 12 is culminated with the end. Please don't give up what God has for you later for something the devil wants you to have today. And sometimes what the devil wants you to have today is peace and tranquility from hard times. We think it's like sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No, sometimes what the devil wants you to have today is money. And, and God says, no, I have a plan for that. And devil's like, no, 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 I'll give it to you today. Yeah. Give you today. It's not that some of our biggest battles, we think the devil wants to give us what's right, and God wants, I mean, excuse me, the devil wants to give us what's wrong, and God wants to give us what's right. No, 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 sometimes the devil wants to give us what God wants to give us now, his way. It's actually something God wants to give us. How did he tempt Jesus? Oh, you're, you're the king? I'll give you all the kings right now. Jump. Do it my way. The first sin, what did the devil tell Adam and Eve? God just knows you'll be like them. That was the whole point. Eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for God knows you'll be just like them, him when you do that. What did God say in Genesis 1? Let us make man in our image that they may be like us. The devil went, oh, yeah? Well, how's that going to happen? Through relationship in the garden. No, just eat that. You'll be just like God, knowing the difference between good and evil. You won't die. There's no consequences for that. And the death was separation from their relationship with God. And it ruined humanity. So I, I feel like there's this scripture in the Bible, and I have I was had no plans on reading this, but it says that if we sin, God will hold that sin accountable for four generations. Do you know the Bible says that? That some of us are living in the consequences of sin from our great, great, great grandparents. And that has been called a generational curse. But a generational curse was broken when you put your faith in Jesus. You don't break generational curses. It was broken on the cross. But we make it our goal to break generational curses. I can't stand it. We're going to break a generational curse. No, 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 no. The curse was broken on the cross. We don't finish the verse. The verse says, but for those who obey me, I will bless them for 1,000. There is a 996-year difference between curses and blessings. So if you just focus on doing what God wants you to do, you can release blessing in your family line for 1,000 years. And if all you ever did was break the bad stuff, then the bad stuff stopped with you. But if you seek God for what he has for you, a thousand generations. How much is a generation? 50 years? 30 years? I mean, it's insane. There are things that my great, 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 great grandkids will do because of what I did today. And if we don't think generationally, it's hard to think generation, generationally when the moment is screaming at us. So I want you to understand this concept that God brought up someone who was alive a thousand years ago, 3,000 years ago, to explain something he wanted them to do now. And that is how powerful God is, is that he's trying to get you to do something that some kid with your last name will be alive a thousand years from now, buying their first home or being the president of America or doing something profound 
because of something you did today. You think God's not going to bless your September and he's trying to bless a thousand generations? I understand we're in the moment, but we have to think eternal. Do things that make an internal impact on the kingdom of God. And here's the place that we can do that, where we can grow together and learn to do things that impact eternity. Because let me tell you something, everything that impacts eternity always impacts the moment you are in. And so that's what I want to pray for you, that you would grow to this place where you'd be thinking the kingdom of God, not just what's going on here in this place, and that Hebrews 12 would be a sign, just like it was to them, to stay in the fight, stay in the faith, and don't be like Esau, trading something God has for you in the future for something the devil wants to give you right now. Father, I thank you that even right now as I pray, somebody is receiving Jesus. And if you're watching online and, and, and you just sense God's presence there with you, I want to give you the opportunity to accept Christ into your heart. We read from Hebrews 12 where it said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Maybe you've never been anyone's joy. Maybe you've never been your parents' joy, your coach's joy, your teacher's joy. I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to be someone's joy. But the Bible says that because of that joy, you, that Jesus endured the cross. Uh, uh, nails didn't put, hold Jesus on that cross. His love for you did. He could have brought himself down with the power of God, but he did not because he wanted to prove once and for all that he loved humanity. So by faith in that moment, by faith in that Savior, we want to follow him as our Lord. And the Bible says we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Christ is Lord, we will be saved. So maybe you're listening to this right now and you say, Pastor Julian, that's me. I want to, uh, Julian, I want to confess my faith in Jesus. I want you to just take a quiet moment right now, wherever you are, and confess that you believe in Jesus and you want to repent and be forgiven of your sin and you want to follow him. And Jesus will accept you into his kingdom as a child and teach you and guide you and lead you towards the things he has for you. And you do all of that in the context of community, the church. And so, Father, we thank you for the person who accepted Christ in their heart. And, Lord, we ask for you to show them immediately how to get engaged in a faith-filled community. Because if we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, we can do awesome things, uh, fixing our eyes on you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love y'all so much. Hopefully you come check us out soon in the near future. And if you're online, come say what's up to me and say, hey, Julian, you told me if I was watching online, come say what's up to you in person and do that. I hope to meet plenty of you over the next several weeks. Love you so much, and I'll see you soon.